0: All right. Hey, can you turn to someone next to you and say it's a good day to worship the Lord? Can you just say it's a good day to worship the Lord? All right. Uh, I bring you uh, very important news, good news of the gospel this morning as we've been studying through uh, the letter written by the half-brother of Jesus Uh, We're going to be continuing in our study in the book of James. If you're new here, welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being the church and for bringing it into this room. If you're traveling for Memorial Day, wherever you're coming from, if you're our guest online or here in person, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. I want to share with you how I got $500 recently, all right? Maybe this will help you, maybe not, but I just want to share it because it's an important part by way of introduction to what we're talking about today. Uh, January of 2020, our family moved into a new house, and so as we moved into a new house, we bought new furniture. So we bought new furniture, and one place we got furniture, we had a coupon uh, for 10% off. So we thought, this is a great deal. 10% off is amazing. Uh, so we bought this furniture, got our 10% off. A few weeks later, one of our Harvest members sent Olivia and me a text and said, hey, here's a coupon code for 30% off the store that you bought furniture at. I know you already bought furniture, but maybe you can apply it retroactively. So I said, all right, we'll see what we can do. So the company that we bought, uh, the store that we bought this furniture from has this 14-day price adjustment uh, window. So if you find a a coupon or there's a lower price within 14 days, they'll refund the difference. We were well outside of that window, but they also had a uh, 60-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't like it, then you can return your uh, sofa furniture, whatever it is, and get your money back. So we were within the two-month window, but outside of the price match guarantee and so Called them up and said, hey, listen, listen. I didn't say it like that. I said, hey, um, I just bought furniture from you and we got 10% off, but I just found a coupon code for 30% off and I'm wondering if you might be able to uh, match this and give me the, 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 the money that, um, the extra money that I paid, if you could refund that to me. And they said, well, we've got a 14-day price match guarantee and it looks like you're outside of that window. I said, yes, I agree that I am, but I am within the 60-day a trial period, money back guarantee. I'm within that 60 day period, and so wondering if you might be able to help me out here. Like, otherwise, I mean, the reality is I could send it back and get my money back and then reorder it with 30% off, but that would be a hassle for you to receive, the, uh, receive it, put it back into inventory, and then have to ship it back out. It'd be a hassle for me. So let's just make this easy between you and me, and can you just refund me the difference of the $500? She said, no, we can't do that because these are two completely separate things. I said, is there any way that this might be escalated to a supervisor? And she said, we have escalated it to a supervisor, and they said the same thing, we can't do anything about it. So I said, okay, I'm not going to argue about it. We got our 10% off, no big deal. A couple of days later, um, this friend from Harvest texted and said, hey, so what did they say? Did they give you your money back? I said, no dice, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And she said, Can you give me the order number? I said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. We got 10% off. We're not going to return anything. It's all good. And she said, can you just give me your order number? This is fun for me. I want to try this. I said, don't sweat it. It's all good. She said, give me the order number. I said, yes, ma'am. And I gave her the order number. Came to church the next Sunday, not thinking much. She's good with her words, but I'm not thinking much. Sunday, we see her. She didn't say anything. So I was like, all right. I guess she didn't get anything. Monday she sends us a message that says, oh my gosh, I totally forgot to tell you. I totally forgot to tell you that I got you your $500 back. I was like, what? I, I remember telling Olivia, I said, listen, if I got somebody $500 back, I, the first thing I'd do as soon as I got off the phone, be like, yo, I got your $500 back. Like, I forgot to tell you. Apparently she does this all the time. I said, what do you, how did you do this? Like, how'd you do that? And she said, I just sweet-talked them with my words. I said, I tried to sweet talk with my words, and they said, sorry, can't nothing be done. It's over. I said, what did you say? She's like, well, you know, that's kind of why I am good at what I do. She never told me what I said this day. I'm wondering what she said on the phone to that person. But I realized that there's something powerful when the right combination of words are put together. A lot of amazing things can happen. For some reason, my words didn't do it, but her words were able to. Have you ever thought, about the power that words, when put together in the right combination and sequence, the kind of power that words can have. I mean, they can do great things and they can do deadly things. You put the wrong words together and they start wars. You put the wrong words together and families are divided, churches are split, marriages are ruined. You put the wrong words together and people do crazy things. You ask Will Smith what happened at the, whatever that award ceremony was. You say the wrong things and you can cause a lot of harm. But you also think about the right words when put together. They can get you $500 back. The right words put together will get you a job, will get you an interview with the right people, with the right school, with the right opportunities, and your future can be shaped in that way. You put the right words together and you can start a revolution when a man stood on the shores of new england and said give me liberty or give me death it sparked something that should have never would have never should have never happened an american revolution you put the right words together put them in the mouth of the right person and you start movements think about the power when martin luther king jr stood on the mall in washington dc and said i have a dream and the things that came as a result of that your words are words words are powerful when put together they can be amongst the most powerful things in the world. Today, I want to talk about the importance of the words that we speak. This is where we come as we come to the book of James. The half-brother of Jesus knew the power of words. If there was any place in the New Testament that talks about words, well, you could go to Jesus first and foremost, but there's no longer discourse on the power of words than what we're going to look at in James chapter 3. In every chapter of the letter that James wrote, there's language about the use of our words and the power of speech and the power of the tongue. It is, the letter of James could be called a treatise on the tongue, the Proverbs of the New Testament, if you will. And today I want to show us the importance of the tongue and the importance of our words. We're going to read from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. This is a struggle that all of us deal with. It may be something that some of us have had relative success and victory in this area of our lives, but it's something that we must all continue to grow in because of the power and the potential of our words. We're going to read James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Remember, this was written for the people of God, and so this is the Word of God for the people of God. He says, "'Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, "'because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly.'" We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Though they're so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body that makes great boasts. And consider what a great forest is set on fire By a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire as in itself and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word. What do we see? Three things. We're going to go right into it. Number one, your words are far more powerful than you know. Okay, Your words are far more powerful than you know. Can you look at someone and say, your words are powerful? Oh my gosh. Say it with some conviction. That was weak sauce. Your words are powerful. Can you say that to somebody? Josh, your words are powerful. You ain't saying it to anybody. Your words are powerful. Understand this. okay? Some of you know this. Some of you need to know this, but your words are powerful. He's not, just, he's not just talking about to leaders and presidents and kings and queens and powerful rulers and CEOs. He's talking about, you. I'm talking about you because James is talking about you. Grace, your words are powerful. Right? Tim, your words are powerful. Even those who don't speak much and those who speak a lot, your words are powerful. Are powerful. He begins by saying, not many of you should be teachers. You know why? Because we who teach will be judged more strictly. What is he saying? He's like, teachers, the way that you teach is through the use of your words. So you talk more than other people talk. That's what he's saying. And because you talk so much, Proverbs ten nine says, where words are many, sin is not absent. In other words, the more you talk, the greater the potential to sin. more you talk, whether you talk like this verbally or you talk online, you talk on social media, you talk on, on forums, the more you talk, the more words you use, the greater your potential for sin. What he's saying is because your words have influenced teachers, be careful Because the more words you use, the more room you're giving yourself for judgment. So if you ever get, hopefully this never happens, you see this only on TV. But when you get arrested, somebody will read you what's called the Miranda rights. And they will say, you have the right to remain silent. That is a right. Why? Because anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. What James is saying here, we who teach will be judged more strictly. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 12, 36, I think. 36, he says, all of us will be judged for every careless word that we speak. That means every word that you've ever spoken is going to be brought up at the judgment seat of Christ and we stand before God. You have the right to remain silent because everything you say can and will be used against you when you stand not in a court of law but in the celestial court of God. Every careless word will be judged. That's why he says, we all stumble in many ways, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Literally he's saying, if you keep a rein on your tongue, if you don't stumble with your mouth, if you're never at fault in what you say, you are, it says perfect, but literally means you're a mature person. How do you know that a person is mature? There's wisdom in what they say, and wisdom in what they don't say. There's wisdom in their speech, and there's wisdom in their silence, that's one of the sure indicators of your spiritual maturity so as we pause for a second there how are you doing how is your spiritual maturity based on what you do and do not say if you can keep your tongue in check he says you're getting there you're learning what it means to be mature you loose cannon you gossip a lot you talk smack about people It's just a prayer request. I just wanted to let you know because you care about them, because you love them. I just wanted to tell you this. Do you say that a lot? Sins of the tongue betray an immaturity of the soul. That's what he's saying here. And then he talks about, hey, let me explain it. He says, says, here's how powerful it is. When you put bits into the mouths of horses, so he gives three analogies here. Number one, a horse. Powerful animal, lazy, doesn't really do anything unless you break it. And the way you break it is by putting a bit in its mouth. Second analogy, you take a great big ship like the Titanic, massive, huge, can carry scores and hundreds and hundreds of people. Says so you, you But that thing is steered by a simple rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. A small thing affects the big thing. That's what he's saying. That's the power that the tongue has. Maybe you know this. You know the power of the tongue. But here, here, here's a very cool analogy here. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. If you Google terrible forest fires or something like that. You will find story after story of forest fires that have raged on and on and on and on and on. You see pictures of them on and on and on. You could find them. And when you find the source of it, what was it? Typically, it was a little spark, a little runaway spark from a campfire. It was a 46-year-old woman who was smoking in a forest in South Dakota. The cigarette had died. She threw the butt over her head into the forest, and bam, 800,000 acres of the forest were burned down for two weeks in a row because of one rogue cigarette butt thrown over her shoulder. He's saying, this is the power of your words. Even the words that you just flicked over your shoulder that nobody really cares about. I didn't really mean it. I didn't really mean that she was that weird looking. I didn't really mean that he was awful at that. These offhanded comments, you've heard them before. Things that maybe you said and you've forgotten about, but somebody, somebody remembers them. Words that I've experienced this, things that have been said to me when I, years later, when I told the person who had said these things to me, they said I had no idea. Isn't that crazy? The power of a comment that you've forgotten that can set a fire in the heart of a person? What if you could could quantify the effect of your words? The things that you've said, if if you could quantify. You know, people say if you smoke a cigarette, every cigarette you smoke cuts 11 minutes off of your life. What if you could quantify the effect of your words in the life of somebody? I hate you you know what? You always mess up. You're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. You're worthless. Why do you always bother me? Stop. Get away from me. I hate you. I don't like you. Did you quantify those words? A man named John Gottman, clinical psychologist, wonderful counselor, he did his best attempt. And he, this is called the proven principle Of marriage, he speaks on on, on marriage and many other things in many places, And, and I've quoted this often. This is huge. This is a good diagnostic for me, a good corrective for me. He says, in every relationship, for every one negative comment that you speak, do you know how many positive comments you need in order to counteract the effect of it? John Gottman's proven principle, it's five positive for every negative comment you speak. So if you're a mom or a dad and you speak a negative word to your child, you need five positive words to flush out the negative effects of that. And we wonder sometimes why our relationships are so busted and why they can't stop being so angry at me. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood. Got to drown them out. Five positive comments for every negative that you hear. He said when marriages and families thrive, okay, thrive, you want a thriving family, you want a thriving marriage. Here's the ratio. It's 20 to 1. 20 positive comments, affirming, uplifting, inspiring, encouraging comments for every negative comment that you make. This is the power of the tongue. Do you see how disproportionate our negative speech is? The, the language he, he says, it's a spark That's a world of evil that causes a fire, corrupts the whole person, whole course of his life set on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Literally, here's the word he's using. It was a a name for a place outside of Jerusalem called Gehenna, Gehenna. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. In the ancient language, it's called Gehenna. It was a valley right outside of Jerusalem where you would take your children who were born. If you didn't want that child, Their ancient day way of aborting the child was to take them to the valley of Hinnom and to discard your child and leave him or her to the elements. Why would you do that? If you didn't like it. If it was born the wrong gender, born with a defect, it was born sick, whatever it was, if you didn't want that child, if it was an inconvenience to you, this is awful, okay? This is abortion 2,000 years ago. They'd take him to the valley of Hinnom and they would burn the child. This is what they would do with dead animals, carcasses, dead bodies, They would burn them in the Valley of Hinnom with the trash and the refuse that was taken out of the city. In the Valley of Hinnom in Gehenna, this is where fires would be burned and it was symbolized as a place of destruction, death, disturbance, and decay. It smelled awful and the fires of Gehenna were constantly burning because more and more trash was thrown in there. Here's what James is saying. Some of our mouths, some of our mouths are treating people like the refuse of Gehenna." The way that you talk to people, the way you talk to your parents, your friends, your children, your cousin, the person who cuts you off, the person that you don't like, the person who stole your girl, the way you talk to people, he's saying you're setting some people on fire and treating them like the trash in the valley of Hinnom. What is your mouth? telling you about the way you see people and how you value people. See, James is saying you've got an option. Okay, One of two things are going to happen, and this is what the Proverbs say. Either you will bring heaven down through the use of your words, or you will bring the fires of hell up through the use of your words. So what are your words communicating to the people that we say that we love? Can I tell you something? James says, your words are far more powerful than you know. It's the first thing that we see. The reason why is the second thing. The second thing that we see, that your words have power to create reality and to shape destiny. Okay, think about this, okay? When you put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey, you can turn the whole animal or take ships... So large, driven by strong winds, steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. He's saying this tiny little thing, understand this tiny little thing can shape the destiny of a great big thing. A horse, a ship. The entire destiny and direction of that huge thing is shaped by a tiny little thing. What he's saying is that your tongue has that kind of, a, it's, t- it's tiny, it's small. It's a two-ounce slab, as one person says, of mucous membrane, and yet it has power to shape the destinies and to create the realities of people that you talk to. Why is this the case? Because you and I, every single one of us, are made in the image of God. That means there are certain things that only we can do amongst that's unique to all of creation. What are some of these things? One of the things is that we use words just like God did. Do you remember when God created all things? What did He do? He didn't, he didn't use Play-Doh and make things. He spoke and reality came into existence because through words, God was creating realities made in the image of God. We have the use and the faculty of words in ways that no other part of creation does. The trees do not speak the language of God, not in the way that we do. God didn't give the Bible for trees. He didn't give a Bible for reptiles. He didn't give a Bible for iguanas. He gave the Word of God to the people of God because through the agency of words, we are made in the image of God and we can create reality and shape destinies the way that God also does. Through the words that you use, you may one day get married to a person, your destiny being created there. Through the words that you use, you will write, you will speak, you will stand before, you will, de- you will defend the dissertation, and you will get the kind of a job that you want. Your destiny is being shaped. Your destiny is shaped, by and large, by the words that you say. What you say is what you are. <laughs> so if you talk a lot about other people, then people will say, not just they gossip about people, they will say, he or she is a gossip. If you speak mean words to people, they will say, she's an angry person. If she's constantly judging other people, they will say, yeah, but she's so judgmental. If you're constantly joking about people in ways that hurt them, you will say, he is an insensitive person. By your words, you will be judged not only in heaven, but on earth as well. We do an inventory of the words that are coming out of our mouth. How are we doing as a people of God? Remember, James says, one way you know how mature you are, through the words that are spoken. Your words have power. Your words have power. Some of you have been shaped by the words that have been spoken over your life. Words that were spoken over you, and for some reason you still remember them. Words that were spoken years ago by somebody. A teacher, a parent, a bully, a friend, an ex-friend, an ex-boyfriend, a girlfriend. You still remember these words. You're like, why do I still remember them? It wasn't that big a deal. Apparently they were a big deal because you remember them. There's an evangelist named Billy Glass who goes into prisons and he was preaching in a prison in Texas, 1,000 inmates, and he said to them, how many of you were told by your parents that one day you're going to end up in prison? And he said to his shock, but not to his surprise, he said the great majority of people in prison raised their hands and my parents told me that one day I'm going to end up in jail. What are the words that you're speaking into the lives of people you care about because you are shaping destinies and you're creating realities? Those off-handed comments that you think, well, you justify it. She deserved it. Well, he knows that I love him. I didn't really mean it. We justified it in a lot of different ways. It doesn't matter your intent. The impact of words doesn't shift just because you didn't mean to say it that way. When I was in youth group, when I was in high school, growing up in Virginia, I remember this one graduating class was having their senior banquet, and the junior class was in charge of preparing, and and there was one girl in charge of uh, writing out the awards that were given to people. Nobody vetted it, nobody looked at it, nobody checked it, and so as um, each one was given that year, they were giving senior superlatives to the people who were graduating, and as they called up the name of this girl, Jennifer, not a real name, they called up Jennifer, and they said, the senior superlative for the biggest flirt of the graduating class goes to Jennifer. And people clapped, and people laughed, and people thought it was a joke. And other people thought, no, I don't think that was a really good thing to say. So Jennifer smiled. She got her award. She said hello, and then she went back to her seat. But then she went missing for probably about 20 or 30 minutes. She said she went into the bathroom, and she cried, and she cried, and she cried. I didn't mean it, said the girl who was preparing that superlative. I didn't really mean it, we were just joking. I still um, keep in touch with Jennifer on Facebook these days, here and there, and I'm not sure that she ever recovered from those words that were spoken. I'm sure, I'm not sure, but I would maybe it wasn't just those words, but similar words that were spoken over her continually shaping the way that she's living now in her 40s. It's a powerful thing that we speak to be able to create realities. You remember these words, don't you? I remember words that have been spoken over me, but I also remember. I also remember, and it's strange as I was preparing this message, why do I remember some of the things that I do remember? Certainly hurtful words I remember, but I remember certain things that were Words of blessing and words of life that were spoken into my life. I remember my second grade teacher, when we were doing an assignment, she was talking. I was in a second grade class, and then I got shifted to a new class. I was in Mrs. Young's class in, like, early in the school year. And I remember Mrs. Young talking to my former teacher. And I remember to this day, she said, yeah, he doesn't talk much, but David is a whiz in math, what she said. And I remember her saying that. I remember an older brother in college when I was far from the Lord my freshman year in college. I remember him saying to me, there are no limits to what God can do through your life. If you would commit your life to him, there are no limits to what God can do through your life. I remember when I was finishing seminary, one of the requirements for ordination was I had to go and get career counseling through somebody. And I remember at the end of the career counseling, I took a battery of did and interview. And this old man looked at me and he said, you know what, David, you're a very promising young man. You've got a bright future ahead of you. I don't know that man's name. I remember the office in which we sat. I don't really remember what he looked like, but I remember those words that were spoken over me. I remember my own, my my brother. My older brother saying to me one day after I preached the sermon, he said, you know what, I get so proud when I see you doing what God called you to do and what God put you on this earth to do. I get so proud of you. I remember Olivia saying to me, I will follow you wherever you go. I remember these words of blessing. Words of blessing that we remember because they speak life into our soul. Your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. You don't need to be a leader, a pastor, a teacher, a parent, uh, an authority figure. Your words, where you are, who you are right now, your words matter because your words have power to create reality and to shape destinies. That's the second thing that we see. The last thing that we see, that your words reveal your heart. So the healing of your tongue comes through your heart. Heart. Some of you are thinking to yourself, man, why can't I control my tongue? You've heard this before, right? We need to think before we speak. Have you heard that before? I think many of us have. We heard it in elementary school. Think stands, it's an acronym. Before I say something, before I say something, I need to ask myself, is it true? Is what I'm about to pass on to somebody else, is it true? Or is it just hearsay? Is there a possibility that it might not be true? Did I hear this from someone who told someone who told someone who told me, and then I'm going to pass this on. Is it true? Do I know that it's true? Is it helpful? Does it help anyone? Why am I telling them this? Like, who's it helping? Why do I need to say this? Is it inspiring? Might be true. It might be helpful in some ways, but does it inspire people? Does it make them better? Is it necessary? Do you need to say that? Hey, Do you have to say that? Sometimes silence is Okay. Oh, I just, why did I say that? Oh, I just need to fill the silence. It was getting awkward. Sometimes silence, okay. Better for you to say nothing than to say something that is not necessary. Is it kind? Think before you speak. I know you know this. I know this too. But you know what? When push comes to shove, a lot of times I say things without thinking. And the problem with our words is like when you squeeze a thing, a toothpaste, you can't put that toothpaste back in. Same thing is true of your words. Have you ever been like the Apostle Peter and been like, dang, I don't think I should have said that. I shouldn't have said that. And you kick yourself. As you're driving home, you're like, man, why did I say that? Why did I say that? So dumb. So hurtful. I've said things like that. I say things like that all the time. I don't talk that much either. But sometimes when I say things, I say things that I regret, stupid things. I try to restrain, but what's my problem? It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Everything else can be tamed, but this creature within my heart wants to continue to come out. They say the tongue is in your mouth. It's a slippery place, so you've got to be careful. Wet places often cause us to slip. That's what we do with our tongues. But Jesus, the problem's not really in our tongue. The problem's in our heart. <coughs> That's why it's so hard. When you go to the doctor, one of the first things that they tell you to do is they tell you to stick out your tongue. Why? Because doctors can tell a lot by looking at your tongue. If your tongue is pale, usually symbolizes an iron deficiency. If your tongue is dry, it means you're dehydrated, you need more water. If your tongue is red and it's swollen, it means there's an infection in your body. You learn a lot by looking at a person's tongue because the tongue is an indicator of a deeper reality. And what James is saying is, the tongue is a reflection of your heart. Your tongue is a reflection of what's going on inside. This is what he says. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men, been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this shouldn't be. In other words, that's not right. Out of the same mouth, come praising God and cursing people made in the image of God. Then he says, can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? I don't think so. Can a fig tree bear olives? No. A grapevine bear figs? No. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Jesus says, Matthew 12, 34, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. The issue is not a speech issue. It's not a tongue issue. It's not a word issue. It's a heart issue because what's inside has to come out. This is simple. got a cup of water here. If you bump into me and the cup spills over and there's water in here, what's going to come out? Not coffee, water. If I've got orange juice in here and somebody tips the cup over, then orange juice is going to come out. You can't have muddy water in here and then pour it out and expect it to be sweet. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So let me ask you a question. Take an inventory of your tongue, of your speech, of your words this week, even this morning, the things that you said. What have you been saying? And what does that reveal about your heart? If you're constantly gossiping about people, can I tell you something? probably means that you don't think that much about yourself and you find value in talking about other people. If you're constantly complaining about something, there's bitterness in your heart about something. If your words are constantly mean and there's anger in your heart, I mean, this is pretty simple. If you're constantly boasting, telling other people how good you are, I'm so good at this, I'm so good at work, I get such good grades, other people can boast about you, but you got to do the one boasting. That means that you're insecure. And this is the reality. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Even when sometimes you're like, you know what, I... I, I didn't really mean to say that. The reason I the reason I said that, okay, the reason I said that, you know I say dumb things when I don't have coffee in the morning. You know the reason I said that? I just, man, I only I was going on three hours sleep. I, I say dumb things when I when I when I don't get enough rest. The reason I said that, gosh, we were out at a we were out at a at a at a club and it was, a, it was a, we're at a wedding, we're at a party, and I just I had a little bit of alcohol. That wasn't me, that was the alcohol speaking. James and Jesus and all the scriptures say, no, 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 no. It's not that easy. If you think it's that easy, then the problem is you just stop drinking. No, 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 no. The alcohol, the tiredness, the stress is just removing the filter and allowing you to speak what's already in your heart. Okay, let's be honest here. Okay, you feel uncomfortable, that's fine, but this is, this is, this is God's word. Argue with him, not with me. It says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth is speaking. And so, if the poison is in the heart, not just in the tongue, then the healing has to come through the heart, not just through the tongue. We could try all we want to put a filter on, but if the poison is in here, it's going to eventually come out. Okay, the way that we talk has to show that we're different. A few, um, few of Elijah's friends from school were over at our house, and they're playing video games, and listening to them talk was like listening to foreign language. <laughs> it was really weird. But the, but the thing that they said the most was, and is, I don't know. It just, yeah. I guess we said things when we were that age that just sounded weird. But the 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 refrain I heard the most as they were playing video games was like, "Yo, that's kind of sus, bro." <laughs> it's like what? Like, I don't I don't talk like that. That's weird. Like, "Yo, that's kind of sus." So I said how come you guys always say that? Like, you guys always say that. Like, everybody says that. Like, I don't say that. Like, Olive don't say that. Manny doesn't say that. Like, who talks like that? We all talk like that. I guess you talk like that because you guys are from a different place than we. We come from a different place. You can tell where a person's from by the way they talk, right? If a 50-year-old man, 40-year-old man, if a 30-year-old man said, yo, that's kind of sus, bro, then you think, man, they're weird. They must be like an elementary school teacher or something like that. They talk differently. You know where you're from by the way that you talk. Do people know that you're a citizen of heaven because of the way that you talk, that you're bringing down the realities of heaven and pulling it into our human relationships here rather than pulling up the fires of Gehenna into our relationships here. See, the challenge, he says... All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures have been tamed and been tamed by men, but no one can tame the tongue. It's true, right? Last day of school, Gatorland went to uh, Elise's school, and Elise came home from school. She was so excited. She's like, I held an alligator today. She held an alligator. That's awesome. An alligator. She's like, my friend Janelle held the mouth, and Tristan held the tail, and I held its stomach. I held an alligator. She also saw Komodo dragons and porcupines and other things that if you saw in the wild, we'd be like, run. But she was up close and personal with them. Why? Because these things have been tamed, James says. You can tame a bunch of different things, even the fiercest animals, but you can't tame the fierce little tongue that comes out of our mouth. He says no man can tame it. Why? Because a tongue is something that is reflective of a much deeper issue. And so in order for our words to be redeemed, our hearts have to be changed. The source has to be changed. The heart has to be changed. So how would that come? Well, you know, Jesus, when he came and lived, it's interesting, right? They called him the word of God. Word became flesh. Why? Because everything that Jesus did was creating realities. He was speaking into people's lives. To a woman who was condemned because of her adultery, he spoke Freedom, redemption, forgiveness. For a person who was blind, he spoke healing. For a person who was dead, he spoke life. And Lazarus came running out of his grave. And Jesus, through his words, was constantly giving life, bringing heaven into this world and calling forth realities and, and shaping the destinies of people. It's an interesting thing. The more important a person is, the more they think they need to talk. And sometimes it's true. Presidents need to talk. Kings need to talk. Leaders need to talk. CEOs need to talk. But you ever been in a place where it's just, you know, we're just a group of people. Titles don't mean anything. But you can tell who the person, the person who thinks they're important is often the one who's talking the most. That's the way it was in the ancient world, too. The ancient world, it was a lot more codified, though. They said, if, you've got, if you're a leader, if you're a king, if you're a ruler, if you're a, a rich person, then you have more words that you're allowed to say. So it was the poor, it was the slave, and it was the woman in that day, unfortunately, who were called to be silent. And so here's Jesus. You remember, maturity in your language is knowing what to say and what not to say, when to say it and what, when not to say anything. Here's Jesus giving life with all the words that he said. But on the final day of his life, when he was being unjustly accused, okay, you remember, these were lies, gossip, slander, sins of the tongue that were perpetrated against Jesus. Are you really who you say you are? Defend yourself, said Pontius Pilate. Speak who you are. Is it really true? And the answer that Jesus gave was silence spoke not a word to defend himself as a lamb before her shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth to say a word. Why? Why did Jesus say nothing when to say nothing would be to lead to his demise? Why did he say nothing when the most important person in the world had every right to speak? For two reasons. Number one, the most important person in the world was doing what he did throughout his life. He was identifying with the marginalized, with the forgotten, with the slave, with the poor, with the woman, with the person who has no voice. Jesus is saying, I identify with them. And what he was doing in his silence was he was speaking far greater words than anything else could say. When he was being accused of all these wrongs, to defend himself would be declare his innocence, but in his silence... He was accepting guilt. But Jesus, you are who you said you are. You are the Son of God. You are the King of the Jews. You're not only, you're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the King of the world. Why do you say nothing? Because what Jesus was doing in that moment, he was telling us that he would be willing to take upon himself the guilt for every sin and slip of the tongue that we've ever given. Not only for the sins of the tongue, but every sin that we've ever committed because of things we've did, done and things we did not do. Jesus was saying, I will take their guilt upon myself. What was Jesus doing? When the sharpest words of this world have cut through and cut you down and broken you down and caused you to feel like, man, there's nothing in me that's good. It's the flood of Jesus. Words and the flood of Jesus' silence that speaks so powerfully into your life. His words drown out, flush out all of the gunk and all the filth so that fresh springs of water could flow out from us. And in his silence, Jesus was saying, you are forgiven. In his silence, Jesus was saying, you are loved. In his silence, Jesus was saying, I identify with you. In his silence, Jesus was saying, you are accepted, you are approved, you are cherished, you are welcomed, you are embraced fully. In his silence, Jesus was saying, I see a promising young." man or woman in you, despite what anybody else says. In his silence, Jesus is saying, you are declared righteous. I will go with you wherever you go. In his silence, Jesus is saying, I'm so proud of you. In his silence, Jesus is saying, you, when, when you do what you do, I'm so proud of you. Jesus, in his silence and in his speaking, was flushing out all of the broken words that have been spoken, that have pierced through our soul, sticks and stones, may break my bones, but words can actually kill our soul. But Jesus was saying, I'm giving life to you in a way that no words could ever, in no ways that nothing could ever give to you. What Jesus was doing was he was flushing out and giving new life to give you the power to control your tongue by giving you a captivated heart. When your heart is surrendered to the Lord Jesus, your mouth becomes a fountain of living water, giving life to those around you? Has your heart been captured by Jesus? You know it by looking at your words. You know it by listening to your words. Jesus wants to change us in order that through our words and through our silence, that we bring a little bit of heaven into our world. Let's pray together. You know, through our words i know that many of us myself included have caused a lot of harm and if i could if i could go to every person that i've spoken words of harm to yeah i would i, I would say i'm so sorry i'm so so sorry The Lord God forgives us, and he wants to redeem our tongues, our words, so that we can begin the journey. Okay, the journey to 20 to 1 begins with one. You can't do 20 things all at once, but you could start with one, and it starts with a heart that's being changed. So come to the Lord God. Let's confess any sins of our tongue for cruel words that we've said, mean words that we've said, offhanded words that we've said, flippant words that we've said careless words that we've said, reckless words that we've said. Let's ask the Lord that He would have mercy, cleanse us, forgive us. And maybe in your receiving forgiveness, the Lord would lead you to forgive those who've said things to you that ought not have been said to any human. Let's not only receive His forgiveness, but extend the forgiveness of God to others. That just basically means you give up the right to get even with them. That's forgiveness. It's a choice you make, not a feeling. It's a choice. And then let's ask the Lord that He would flood our hearts with the Word of God and with the truth of His love for us. Let's ask the Lord for the change that we need today. Let's pray together for a couple moments before we continue. Father in heaven, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would change us like only you can. Father, forgive us because sometimes we try to be funny instead of trying to be Christ-like. And what we think is funny, somebody may have thought to be hurtful. Lord, have mercy on us. Father, forgive us for when we thought that introducing this latest tidbit of news might cause someone to think more highly of us or might cause us to feel a little bit better about ourselves, that we know something that other people didn't know. You didn't know that? Father, forgive us for in that we crossed over the line into gossip. Lord, have mercy. For things we've said in anger, for things that we've said in our pain, for things that we've said in our bitterness, for things that we've said in whatever it was. Jesus, you don't excuse those things because of a physical ailment or condition or stress in our lives. To confess is to call sin, sin. And perhaps we sin more when we're tired, angry, stressed, provoked. But the reality is that sin is sin. So Lord, have mercy on us. Wash us in the blood. That was shed for us at the cross. As you took upon yourself the guilt, when we trust in you, you proclaim our innocence so that we can confidently go before the Father, the Holy One, and ask for help in times of need. And so we do ask: Sanctify our tongues. Let there be an integrity between a renewed heart and the words that we use. May we, through our words, uplift, encourage, inspire, bring heaven and its realities here, rather than pulling up the gunk, the garbage, the filth of Gehenna into our world. Lord, we know that in our broken world, we need a little bit more of heaven. We're your agents. May we be faithful to our call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.